Hello, this is Pastor Rob of Bethel Church in Tempers Plains, where our mission is connecting people to God. Welcome to our podcast today. We have a very special guest with us today, and I believe you'll be blessed by this message. Isaiah tells us the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Please listen and receive this anointed message and allow the Holy Spirit to break any yoke or burden that may be hindering you today. God bless. Have a great day. Well, we're going to move on to uh, the most important part, and that is always the Word of God here at Bethel. And I can guarantee you, if you've ever heard Apostle Mark share the Word with you, uh, you're looking forward to this. But I can guarantee you, if you've not heard him, you're going to enjoy everything that comes out of his mouth. He's inspired by the living God, but he is an awesome communicator. Mark, would you please come come on up? Bob, would you come and uh, take care of the bringing the podium over for him, please? This is a good day, isn't it? Wow. A good day. You know, the Bible talks about debt in very negative terms. And we realize that in our families and businesses, churches, etc. Sometimes we incur debt because we're trying to fulfill a vision and uh, occasionally it's necessary especially with our mortgages on our homes and that type of thing. But boy what a great day when we can say the tail is no longer wagging the dog. Right? (laughs) We are going to wag the tail and uh, be able to invest ourselves what used to be into a mortgage payment, into other things. And I think this is a very critical time, very critical time for you personally. If you're a member of this church, it's a very critical time for this church corporately. So I think that it's appropriate that I speak towards these things. So as far as a title is concerned today, I think the appropriate title is, Now What? Whenever we come to a place in life where there is a monumental event, one of the most important questions we could ask is, now what? So I want you to turn to the 28th chapter of Matthew, if you would please. That's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. It's good to see everyone here today. I am going to say, Otis and Ivy, Ivy, your team... um, you guys are awesome. We love you. It's good to see you. you, you yeah, brother, I was getting ready to say, you're getting younger and younger. You look awesome. Come on. So good to see you. Enjoy the worship. Matthew chapter 28. Now this seems like it's going to be a long read here, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 20 verses. But I love this chapter. And I think the disciples had witnessed and were experiencing, since they're in the middle of it, the most monumental event that had ever happened in their life. And I think they're asking the question, now what? True. The exact circumstances that they found themselves in are not like the circumstances we find ourselves in. However, the sequence of events that is necessary 
to go to the next mountain, those sequence of events are the same. And so let's start with verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Now that's a mixture, isn't it? With fear and great joy. In other words, there was just a combination of emotions. They didn't know how to react. There's a little bit of excitement, but there's also a little bit of confusion. There's some confidence, but also fear and trepidation. And in this mixture of emotions, they ran to bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that they had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Everyone say, alternative narrative. Yeah, the devil's always got an alternative narrative. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. They went away. How many disciples? Eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so in this circumstance, I think there's a common question between us and our celebration today and them. And that question is, now what? And I want to suggest that there's probably three things that they did that we need to do. Number one, move on. Number two, 
make the journey. And number three, meet the master on the next mountain. And I'll talk about that, Lord willing, after we pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the people that are here together where two or three are gathered together. You're in the midst of us. And so we thank you for your presence and pray that you'll help me deliver this word in a way that's understandable and encouraging to everyone involved. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. So I was randomly scrolling through some videos on Facebook. You ever do that? This was just this morning. So I got up pretty early and had completed my studies and was just kind of sitting there drinking, I think, my first cup of coffee. So I got to scrolling through some of these videos, and I saw a video that caught my eye. It's because I grew up in the 70s, and it was Henry Winkler. Of course, we know him as who? The Fonz, of course. So he was saying that he was on Happy Days for 10 years, and that was a mountaintop experience. It was all over the world. It was global. Everybody knew him. And he said, I just thought that I would move from Happy Days into the very next project and the next project because all I ever wanted to be was an actor since I was seven years old. And then he made a statement something like this. After it was over, I had grass stains all over me because I fell off the side of the mountain that I didn't even know existed. And he said, I went through a valley where nobody called me because I was so typecast as Arthur Fonzarelli. And that happens when we go from one mountain to another. For whatever reason, at times, we like to stay on the mountain that is familiar. Now, in this situation, the disciples just didn't want to move on. And as I said, the situation that you're in is not really the circumstances the same as that situation, but yet the conduct and the behavior can be the same. And certainly the way to the next mountain is the same. In the disciples' situation, of course, they didn't want to go anywhere because they had found a little bit of a comfort zone. They had been through a tragedy. They wanted to say where they were at. They wanted to hide behind locked doors. And, well, that was the, that was the place they found the safest. And so the idea that Jesus was alive, the idea that they were going to try to meet him somewhere, was not met with a lot of enthusiasm. And I think that there are basically two circumstances under which people want to stay in the comfort zone. I think there's two circumstances under which people want to stay in a ground that is familiar. The first circumstance is like the disciples. There's been some tragedy. There's been some great disappointment in your life. You know what it's like when you've tried and failed and tried and failed. You know what it's like when you've put all your hopes and dreams into some project and the project didn't work out. You wanted to start a business and you were so excited about it, but it failed. You know what discouragement's like, and I think this is what the disciples were under. There was such discouragement because they had left their jobs and bet on the fact that Jesus was Messiah. They had told all of their friends, their family, that Jesus was Messiah. And it turned out that he was killed, crucified, dead, buried in a tomb. And the depth of their discouragement and despondency was such that they just didn't want to move on. 
I think the second circumstance probably is a little bit like ours. And that is that if it's not a tragic event, a disappointing event that keeps us from wanting to move on, sometimes it's the greatest victory. Like, you know, you won. You want to celebrate. Something happened. Something succeeded. I remember when I graduated from high school. Of course, you work for 12 years to graduate from high school. You go through the graduation. You're kind of excited. You get a cap and a gown, and you get your diploma, and you, you, know, you sit down, and, and it's all fun, and then you throw your hat up in the air, and this big celebration, and everybody takes pictures of you afterwards. And then the next morning, you wake up with a high school graduation, and you're thinking to yourself, now what? And I remember having the thought at the end of the evening when I walked off the stage and had, had turned the tassel and I walked out of that building in Waverly, Ohio, I remember thinking, wow, they're kicking me out of the door. I'm not coming back. This is it. And so sometimes after our greatest successes, our greatest victories, sometimes it's like, now what? This happens to sports teams. When they have a big victory, even during the season, they have an emotional letdown. Like when you have a big victory and you have a rival that you beat, in a football game, the next game, boy, that's a tough game to get ready for. And so I think that there's many occasions when we're like the disciples, a little bit discouraged, or maybe like us today when we're celebrating, that the question that has to be answered is, now what? And the first answer to that question, I think, is the first point that I enumerated a few moments ago, which the first thing we do is we move on. You know, we're going to celebrate today. This is a celebration service. Uh, have a meal together. The, the building looks awesome. The tables look awesome. This is exactly the way you ought to celebrate when you're getting ready to burn the mortgage. And like, like this is a celebration. And let's enjoy the moment. But here, here's also the reality. Tomorrow, kids go back to school. You go back to work. And next Sunday, next Sunday is still a Sunday. We've got to preach the word, worship Jesus. Get ready for, pray for, because at some point in time, it occurs to us, yeah, well, we got to move on. But it's hard to move on. It's hard to move on, because sometimes we don't know what we're moving on towards. Sometimes it's hard to move on because you're so discouraged, you just don't want to move on. And maybe that's you today, personally. Maybe that's you and your family. While everybody else is celebrating, maybe you're sitting there thinking, this is great for us. But me, maybe I feel a little bit more like the disciples, like there's been such a letdown and there's, a, there's been a discouragement, a defeat in my life. And Yeah, you're asking the same question under dis different circumstances. Now what? The first answer, no matter if you're discouraged or whether you're celebrating, the first answer is you have to move on. But it's tough to move on because you really don't know what to move on towards. You don't know what the journey looks like ahead. We've never been here before. And it's interesting how human beings are constantly searching for comfort. We really are. We like to get things paid off because now we don't have to worry about paying the bills. We like to complete things because now that it's completed, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And what we're looking for in all of these circumstances is a place of comfort where we don't feel the anxiety of worry, where we don't feel like we're challenged and we don't feel like we're being pressed. And so it's a real temptation to stay in the comfort zones and engage in what's called avoidance behavior. 
Now, avoidance behavior is something probably we're all familiar with, even though we may not have heard that term. Avoidance behavior are the behaviors that we engage in to avoid doing the thing we don't want to do. Okay, let's say it's like, like for me, uh, Nikki and I, doing taxes is a big deal. Right, because you know, self-employed, we have businesses, we have we have a lot of things that have to get in order, and 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 sometimes you just dread when it's uh, you know April fourteenth, <laughs> right, the day before. I suggest you start a little earlier, but. Sometimes it's April 14th. So you got some job like that. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's you know you need to clean out the garage. You just know you got to do that. Or you know you got to paint the house. You know you have to do the yard work. You know you have something to fix. And so instead of doing what you really know you need to do but you don't want to do, you rather engage yourself in what's called uh, avoidance behavior. Now, avoidance behavior usually is busy work that you'll engage in to take the place of the work you ought to be doing. And people in sales really experience this because it's tough to be a salesperson. When you do cold calls and you get rejected like, like I don't know, 49 out of 50 times, you just don't want to pick up the phone again. And so you engage in avoidance behaviors, which is doing busy work. Like, like if you understand in the office environment, you're like, well, I just need to get all my contacts in alphabetical order before I start the call. Wait, wait, wait. I need to put them in an Excel form before I start the call. Oh, you know what? I just need to put them in, in numeric order according to zip code. Then I'll make the call. And so you engage yourself in a bunch of busy work because it kind of makes you feel like you're busy, but you're really not accomplishing anything because what you need to accomplish is something you dread doing. And I think that's where the disciples were. I mean, they were uh, together, they were assembled, they just locked the door. You know, it's not like they, they, were, they were all doing horrible things, they were just kind of busy doing things that didn't matter. And if you look, if you look at what avoidance behavior tries to do, it tries to make things perfect before we move on. And that's where I want to get to. Because a lot of times before we move on, we think we have to have things perfect. And if you're waiting for a perfect opportunity to start your business, you'll never start the business. If you're looking for the perfect time to have children, you will never have children. Because opportunities don't come announced and they seldom come at a convenient time. So if you look at this story, and we read the story, I won't reread the story, but when you read the story, notice that the people that brought the disciples the news were two women. Now, do you know in that day that a woman's testimony was not accepted in courts? Like, and the two people that Jesus chose to reveal himself to were two women who were essentially the first people to ever preach the gospel. And so the disciples could have easily said, well, you know, yeah, okay, whatever, you guys may have just been seeing things or hysterical or... And notice that it says 11 disciples. And it could have very easily happened that they would have said, you know, before we go to this mountain, Jesus says we ought to go to. Before we move on, we need to get another, we need to get one more. So let's have a committee that's going to, you know, get us some people uh, that we may choose from. 11 disciples, two women. 
behind locked doors. There was nothing convenient about the situation when Jesus said, but you got to move on. And it's seldom perfect. It's seldom the perfect season when those opportunities come. The second thing that happened is they had to make the journey. You have to make the journey. When you move on, there's a journey. Now that journey from where they were up to Galilee would have been about 100 miles. And I think probably that's about the distance that we travel today from Chillicothe, maybe. And I, I just don't know how excited I would be if after service, you know, they said, all right, Mark and Nikki, Jesus wants to meet you in Chillicothe, so start walking. I think if you cut across these hills instead of going Route 7, you can probably get to 50 a little quicker. And we've got to, go, we've got to walk to Chillicothe to meet Jesus. Well, you've got to make the journey. Making the journey. I've, I've noticed something about the Lord. Sometimes it's not even the destination that he's as concerned about as the journey that we make to get to the destination. And maybe some of you are in that journey. You're in the process. Boy, that's not an easy place to be. It's a crucible. Because I don't know what it would be like to walk from here to Chillicothe. I hope I never have to find out what it's like to walk from here to Chillicothe. But I don't think we're going to make it before the sun goes down. And somewhere we're going to be camping out. And it's not going to be an easy trek between here and Chillicothe. But yet there's something that God teaches us in the journey that we can never learn, even if we would go from mountain to mountain. There was something in this video that Henry Winkler talked about when he slid off the mountain of his fame and happy days. He learned how to direct. He learned how to make movies. He learned how to work in the industry. There is something that God wants to teach you in the valleys between the mountains that you will never, ever learn without that journey. And what is a journey? It's interesting. Now, if you can visualize this, once you set a goal, that is a, that's a great day. And Jesus set the goal for them. Jesus said, I'm going to meet you on that mountain. Now, instantly, when Jesus said, let's even take, for instance, Chillicothe, whatever you know, your goal would be, in the case that I was talking about, it would be Chillicothe. The moment that you say, I'm going to go from here to Chillicothe, the next thing you do almost instantly is try to figure out the route that you're going to take to get there. Because every time you set a goal, what has to be married to that goal is the strategy in how to get there. Now, what is a strategy? A strategy is a pathway. It's a road. The journey that God puts us on, when we move on, and secondly, we make that journey, there are lessons on the journey that God teaches us, and here's how that transpires. Every time that you set a goal, you have to figure out a pathway or a roadway to get there, no matter what it is. If you're going to build a doghouse, if you're going to mow the lawn, if you're going to, if you're going to plant landscaping, then you create a strategy which essentially is a road. It's a pathway. It's the path that you walk in order to get to your goal. Now, what I'm saying is that this pathway is part of the necessary schooling and education that God gives us in order to help us get to that goal. 
don't underestimate the power of the journey. Now, what happens on the journey? Here are some things specifically that happen on the journey. What is a road? What is a pathway? A pathway or a road is actually a marriage between two limitations. What is a road? A road has a, usually, a stripe on one side and then a ditch. That's called a limitation. Don't cross the line. On the left side, there's a stripe and another ditch. That is a limitation. Don't cross the line. Now, we don't like limitations, do we? In other words, we've probably heard sermons. I've probably preached sermons with a title something like, A Life with No Limitations. Burst the limitations of your life. And I understand what we're trying to say, but that's not really a very good life philosophy. Because a desert is a pathway with no limitations. An ocean is a body of water with no limitations. And what happens on a body of water? What happens in a desert? If there are no stars in the sky to guide you, it's hard to know which way is east or west or north or south. In fact, you'll get lost and confused trying to find your way from here to Chillicothe if there's no path or road. And that path or road is made up by the combination of two limiting factors, left and right. So we read the Bible and we think, well, why does God say don't do that? Why does God say don't do this? Church is just a bunch of don'ts. Yeah. Because when he says don't go to the left and don't go to the right, he's done you a favor because the limitation of left and right creates a pathway. And a pathway is a road that gives you clarity. A pathway is a road that helps you know where you're at. A pathway is a road that gives you direction. And when God calls you into a journey, it is for the purpose of teaching us what is good and what is not. Because there's death, destruction, and chaos past the line on the left. There is death, destruction, and chaos past the line on the right. This is called trespassing. And Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer about trespassing. So what God does on the journey is He teaches us limitations. Now when that happens, something else happens on this journey. When you're on a journey, suddenly, and it happens suddenly, Maybe over time, but suddenly something begins to change in your life, and it's called priorities. Because you know, you have one set of priorities when you're living in your house, but you have a second set of priorities different than that when you go on vacation. When you go on vacation, you probably don't do you probably don't do the laundry. You probably don't bring a vacuum cleaner. Now, maybe somebody does. You know, you say this, and there's always one person that does bring a vacuum cleaner, and you start vacuuming the carpet. Even though Nikki and I have stayed in enough, enough hotels, I'm about ready to start packing the vacuum cleaner, right? <laughs> the carpet shampoo or something. And, and, uh, well, well, but you know this, right? There's a, there's a set of values and priorities when you're going to camp out on your previous victory. And that set of values is not adequate to move you into the next season of your life. And so God says, move on. 
And when you move on, you start making the journey. And it's in the midst of making that journey that you start understanding there's limitations, there's do's and there's don'ts, and that creates a pathway. And in this journey, my values change. My priorities change. Because when I'm on a journey, I don't value things that slow me down. My priority is not a new flat screen TV if I'm on a journey from one place to another. A different set of values, a different set of priorities. And I think one of the things that hinders the church of Jesus Christ from receiving the great commission that he gave his disciples on that mountain is that we want to stay on this one. And when you stay on this mountain, it's usually because there's been some great discouragement, you don't even have the energy to move on, or there's been some great victory and you just want to camp out around it. But either way, we adopt the set of values and priorities about preserving the status quo. And I would hate for any church to get to the point where we thought more about preserving what we have than moving on. Making the journey. And finally, meeting the Savior. So the disciples made the journey. It was about 100 miles. They meet the Savior. And when they meet the Savior... He says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth, and go you therefore. So he's commissioning them to make disciples of all nations. We know what that is. It's often called the great commission. Sometimes it's called the great omission. But it was to be the great commission. And that great commission is for the church corporate, yes, but it's also for you and me individually. That every person here, and I want to talk to you just more individually than about the church. Because really the church is you. And you are the church. People say, well, the church needs revival. And well, yes, but no. The church doesn't need revival. You do. Well, the church just needs to get more people saved. Well, yeah, but no. You need to get more people saved. I need to get more people saved. So when you personalize this, I think it's a very healthy thing. And the Great Commission is one of those commissions that is a corporate commission to all of us. Jesus says it to the church, church corporate, the church I pastor. There's one church in the world. I pastor a congregation in Chillicothe and oversee some other congregations. And this is a congregation here, but we're all part of the church. And the Great Commission is spoken to the church, corporate, no doubt. But it's also spoken to us personally. We are to be engaged in that commission. But let me say, you're not ready to meet the master on the mountain until you move on and make the journey. And I don't know personally where you may feel like you are in your life. Maybe, maybe you've come through such a defeat, you're like, I just, I don't have the energy to move on. I don't have the energy to pack my suitcase. And I, I get that. But the Holy Spirit's going to heal you. And when he does, the biggest battle you face is yourself. 
because you'll participate in avoidance behaviors and think of all kind of busy stuff to do. You're busy with the kids. You're busy with the grandkids. You're busy with your job. You're busy cleaning house. You're busy with a lot of things. But busy doing the wrong thing produces the wrong fruit. You'll never produce good fruit by being busy doing the wrong thing. Sometimes we're replacing the right thing with the wrong thing because the right thing necessitates that we move on and make a journey. And sometimes we're just so exhausted, we look at that journey and it's like, oh, God, I don't want to have to do that. That's like the gym membership about March of every year, right? <laughs> yeah. Christmas gift, gym membership, Planet Fitness. Woo! It's awesome. And then about March, you know, we're, oh, God, I don't want to get up and go to the gym. And Yeah, we know that. We know what that's like. But yet, life is about moving from one mountain to another. And the fact is, everybody in the room, we're in training for reigning. We've got to keep this in mind. The Bible says that we shall reign with him. And when Jesus comes back to earth and reigns in what's typically called the millennial reign, we reign with him. You and I are being tested. We are being trained for reigning. And so even when you do something faithfully and nobody recognizes you, don't worry about it. God recognizes you, and that's, that's who we're working for. And so, yeah, sometimes we have to make the journey. And it's, it's a tough journey, but, 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 there are lessons on the journey that we'll never learn on either mountain. Your priorities, your values, you learn to live within strict limitations. That's called discipline. You learn to live in strict limitations to discipline yourself. I know that when I see musicians like Otis, somewhere in Otis's life, he decided it was a worthwhile goal to learn to play the piano. But in order to get there, you had to impose limitations on yourself. You didn't maybe watch TV as much as you want. You didn't hang out with your buddies as much as you want. You didn't get to play video games. Did they have You didn't get to play video games. You, right? You, 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 everybody else went to sleep, but you were going to play the piano because any worthwhile endeavor means that you impose these limitations on yourself and the limitations create the pathway to fulfill the goal. And that's, that's the journey that we make. And then we meet the master on that mountain. And when we meet him, he gives us a commission. A commission to make disciples. Now I'm going to conclude with this. I think everybody here is commissioned and equipped by Jesus to win souls, disciple people, and to do the work of Jesus. Every person here. I am really excited for the day when we look at our week and Sunday morning becomes the low point of our week. That the high point spiritually is when I get to go back to school and back to work. When I'm just in Walmart minding my own business and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, see that woman over there? Her husband just left her. I want you to go over there and tell her that I see what she's going through and that I'm going to provide for her. Now, now, some of you have thought those thoughts and you've dismissed them and thought, oh, good grief, I'm not going to do that. I don't know. She doesn't know me. She's going to think I'm stupid. Now, when you worry about people thinking you're stupid, it's because you're not dead yet. Yeah, because, 
Dead people don't care what they look like. Right? They don't care. So we go back to the altar, we become a living sacrifice, and we go, we go at it again. Here we go. Because I, I believe in this hour, Jesus wants the, the saints so thoroughly equipped that we are doing the work of ministry in such a way that we don't have to call the intercessors anymore if we need prayer. Because we're praying. doesn't mean you're not going to have intercessors. It just means you're not going to outsource your prayer life to another group of people. And we're not going to have to call the pastor because someone has a question. Because we know we have the Savior. We have the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that's not easy in our culture. I was born and raised in southeastern Ohio. My wife was too. My great-great-grandparents came, the, the Pfeiffer side came from Germany and settled down in Pike County. I have no idea why. Came to Pike County, settled on a 100-acre farm that's still in our family. I know us. I think God wants to do an incredible work in southern Ohio. And the thing that holds us back is that our own self-doubts and self-limiting attitudes about us. Because one of the things in our culture that has to be overcome is that sense of, well, I'm not very smart. Well, I'm not educated. Oh, I've never done anything very good in my life. At some point in time, past generations decided not to make the journey, and they camped out up on the hill for so long that they learned how to be maybe self-sustaining and safe. But God's wanting to raise up a generation of people that aren't safe. And there is such a boldness and a confidence that the Holy Spirit puts in us that we start to believe, yes, even I can be used of God. Yes, God does speak to me. Yes, I am a mighty warrior. Yes, I'm going to speak life to people. Yes, I am here to be used of God. And one of the assignments of the devil is to keep you believing you got too many problems. And if you just solved all your problems, then you'll make the journey. That's a lie of the devil. That becomes part of the self-limiting behavior. It becomes part of the avoidance behavior where we think, well, you know, I'll make the journey, but I got to get cleaned up. For I'll make the journey, but I still got a bad attitude. I'll, I'll, I'll make the journey, but I still have tobacco. I, I'll make the journey, but, but I, need to, I, I need to get my, my Bible reading, and I, I still don't have devotions every day. And Like, well, as long as that happens, you'll never make the journey, and you'll never meet the master on the next mountain. When we meet the master on the next mountain, I'm just going to leave you with this. I believe this is a, just a little three-step process that's, that's very, very helpful about hearing the voice of God and letting God use you personally. Number one, learn how to entertain his presence in worship. The first step is to recognize the presence of God because the presence of God is the power of God. The presence of God comes whenever we worship. Number one, worship. Worship, worship, worship. Worship until you know the presence of God, sense the presence of God. And I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about in your car. Decide that you're going to stop listening to XM unless it's worship music. Just decide that. Decide that you're not going to watch ESPN. Rather, you're going to turn that off and just let praise music 
permeate your house, permeate your workspace. When, you're, when you've got your earbuds in, you're listening to something, let that be worship. You say, Pastor Mark, that, why? Because you need to learn how to recognize the presence of God. Because when you're in Walmart and there's a single mom that her husband just left her, she needs you. And God's been speaking to you all along. It's not a matter of Him speaking or not speaking. It's whether or not we're listening. That's the issue. So we learn, we learn the presence of God. The presence of God. The second thing then, when you learn the presence of God in worship, then you learn the prophetic voice of God. And He speaks His word to you. You learn to hear the voice of God. The presence of God, the voice of God. Now, this is a tough situation to be in because it's a scary point, really. Because it's like, what if it's not God? Yeah, but here's an even important, more important question. What if it is God? I found out in my life, I've been hearing, I heard God for years. I just dismissed it as my own imagination. Nick, they took Nikki to the pastor once when she was a little girl and... Uh, the pastor, all the pastor could say is because they didn't believe in prophetic things. They said, she's got ESP. I don't even hear that term anymore. Sounds like ESPN, you know, ESP, extrasensory perception. And it's like, so that, that's what that is because they had no context to even define what it was that was happening to her, even as a little girl, because she was hearing the voice of God. She'd be, she's, she, she was prophetic. You learn to worship to entertain the presence of God. In the presence of God, you learn to distinguish the voice of God. And the way that you distinguish the voice of God is by acting on it. It's the only way. You act upon it. Are you going to be wrong? Yeah. 95% of the time, you'll be right. I, I don't understand it. I think sometimes God is just so pleased that at least we're trying, that even if we don't hear correctly, He'll just work behind the scenes and arrange it where it works out for us anyway. I mean, it's just, it's just how God works. The presence of God, the Word of God. And that's how we release the power of God. The power of God is released through His children when we recognize His presence and hear His Word. Then we operate in the power of God. We're making disciples. And just think of that as the next mountain when you meet Christ. All right? So now what? Move on, make the journey, meet Christ up on the next mountain. That's the commission to the church, corporate. It's the commission to you individually. And uh, Nikki, I am going to have you come up if you would and just, just kind of pronounce a blessing over people, to pray over people. If there's anything that you feel that the Holy Spirit's put on your heart to say to us, then say on. And uh, when she's done, then Pastor Rob, we're going to turn things back over to you. All right, thank you, Jesus, God. We just uh, we receive your word right now, God. And uh, Father, we want to activate the word. We just don't want to hear it and then just set it aside. God, we want to take it to heart. We want to ingest it. We want to take it in. God, we want to act upon it. We want it to become applicable to our life. And uh, God, we may see ourselves as unworthy, and, and even now the enemy is... Even now, the enemy is telling you, well, that word's really not for you. It's for the person sitting next to you, but it really doesn't apply to you. 
And uh, as Mark said earlier, the devil is a liar. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I think one of the most valuable things that the enemy wants to do to keep you in bondage, he doesn't care if you're strung out on drugs out in the street somewhere, but he cares if you're in the church, but you refuse to move and do anything about it. That's far more effective on his, on his side. So, God, we want to hear your voice this morning, God. We want to hear your marching orders. We want to know, God, what is next. And, uh, God, I pray for, for boldness, and I pray for confidence in this house, that, God, we will know your word. We will sense your presence. We will know your word. We will hear your voice. And, God, we will have boldness and confidence to step out and do what we thought we could never do before. You know, I'm immediately thinking of the story. I think it's in Genesis 11, and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And, uh, and the people wanted to get to God, and they, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They said, we'll build a city, we'll build a tower that will go to heaven. And, uh, and that was the wrong motive. Obviously, their heart was wrong. But, but here's the thing that's interesting. is God, When God saw that, he said, let's go down there, and we're going to confuse their language because he knew their motive was wrong. But here's what he said. He said, once they have conceived it in their heart, in other words, once they believe they can do it, nothing will be withheld from them. So God made us in his image. And he put something inside of us that said that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And you have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that when something comes to you, he wants to rise up and say, if you do that, it won't be withheld from you. So maybe what we need to do this morning is break insecurity and fear. Because maybe that's what really holds us back. Insecurity and fear of failure. So, man, I mean, I'm... I'm I don't know where all this come from. It must be God. Huh. <laughs> so anyways, if, if, that's, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold because we're going to break that fear. We're going to break that insecurity. And the only way you do that is got to step out and do something. So if that's you, stand up right now. If you feel insecure, if you feel intimidated, if you fear, feel fearful, Marcus delivered the word of God this morning, and if you've related to all that, but in your mind you've thought, yes, but, yes, but, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know me. I tried and I failed. And the enemy releases what we call a spirit of quit, a spirit of surrender that says, man, I'm, I, I'm not even going to try because it, it won't work. I'm not good enough, so I just, I'm not even going to try. So I just surrender. Give it up right now. Anybody else want to stand once more? We're going to give you an opportunity, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to be done, and we're going to move on and have lunch and all the wonderful things that they've prepared for, for today's activities. But right now, this is important. And I believe there are moments in our, in our, in our relationship with God. There are moments in time, kairos moments, that God appoints in our life that says, I'm going to put my finger right there, and if you'll be obedient, I will deliver you. Psalm says that I called upon the Lord and he heard me and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. 
So if that's you, we're just going to pray right now. So just in your heart, you can lift your hands if you want, just to surrender. But God, we lift ourselves up before you, God. We ask you, Father, that you would break the spirits that have affected us in our mind, in our emotions, in our activities, that have held us back, that have kept us quiet, that have kept us with, with cotton in our mouth, unable to speak. We break the, the spirit of insecurity and unworthiness that says that we're not good enough, that we don't amount to anything, that why should I even bother because I will only fail when I try. I break that lie of the spirit of the devil himself that lies to you because you are made in the image of God. And he says nothing will be withheld from you once you believe it. God, I come against the spirit of fear and timidity, and I speak boldness and confidence in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. He says that you are the hope of glory on this earth. See, we look at the heavens hoping for the glory to come down. It's not coming down from the heavens. It's coming through the church. It's coming through the body. It's coming through you and you and you and you and you. But as long as we're fearful, as long as we're insecure, we'll never release what's inside of us. So God, we surrender those things to you this morning, Jesus. We lay ourselves down and say, God, we no longer are going to, are, oh, we're no longer going to identify with that self. We're going to identify with the new creation that, that you've placed in us. I identify with the Spirit of God inside of me. I identify that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I identify with the word that said that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I identify that I'm not born of a spirit of fear, but I'm born of love, power, and a sound mind. I identify that before the foundation of the earth, he knew me before I was in my mother's womb. Come on, we identify. Start saying your words. I identify that, God, you have a call on my life. I identify that I wasn't a mistake. I identify that I have a purpose on this earth. I identify that if I don't do what God has called me to do, it will not happen in the earth. It will be aborted and never be done because no one will do it quite like you. So, God, we identify with your word of truth. And we take it upon ourselves to believe in ourselves, to believe in you in us, God. Not so that we can boast in and of ourselves, God forbid, but God, we boast in Jesus that's inside of us. Jesus is calling us to a new level in the body of Christ because he needs us to get into a formation, to begin to march, to begin to move, to begin to do, to begin to act, to begin to obey what he's called us to do, because time is short, people. Time is short. This life is just a vapor for all of us. It's just a breath. So God, we, we receive your word today. I believe, God, that we can leave this house free indeed. So we thank you, God. We all say together, amen. Amen. And God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Pastor. Hello, this is Pastor Rob again. I pray you enjoyed this podcast. What a blessing it has been to have you join us on this social media platform. If you would like more information about Bethel, please check out our website at BethelChurch.community. 
You can also follow us on our Facebook page at Bethel Church, Tepper's Plains. Have a blessed day and remember, love never fails.